welcome to episode four of the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast. In the last episode, we were speaking to Johnny O'Raw, the Belfast herbalist, and apart from talking about herbs, we touched a little bit on the gut health. So this time around, I'm talking to someone who knows a lot about gut health through her gut healing foods. This lady is an author, a speaker, a consultant, a cook, the fermented queen, and the founder of the Cultured Club. It's Derva Reynolds. Hi, Derva Lahore. Hi, how are, what a lovely introduction. <laughs> did I cover it all or did I leave Well, anything? you know, we can keep adding as we go along. <laughs> mother, wife. <laughs> the mother and wife takes over a lot, yes. <laughs> You've been to Prague recently. I have, um, yes. Was it a business trip and how did you find the fermenting culture, the food culture there? Well, it was a, it was very interesting for me to step out of my little bubble and go somewhere else um, without my ferments because I always travel with them. So actually, immediately I was very keen to see if I could find some fermented food and, you know, keep that as part of my pattern because I was away for 10 days and... To be honest, it was relatively easy. I was amazed. Um, of course, something like sauerkraut is going to be uh, a traditional food from that part of the world. Uh, I was able to find a raw, organic, unpasteurized sauerkraut. Uh, alongside that, some kimchi, which would have been made um, slightly outside of the city. I also find really interesting things like crackers with sauerkraut in them that were dehydrated and raw therefore preserving the the probiotic element there were kombuchas of many flavors there were kefirs tempeh misos so actually it was it was actually quite an easy an easy task i uh, did treat myself to eating out pretty much every day and was quite amazed by some of the selections you know there was there was definitely a lot of vegetarian vegan options and in quite a few places kimchis or kombuchas as part of the menu in fact one place I went to they gave me a glass of kombucha that I literally thought oh my god I can't drink all of that it was such an enormous it was nearly like a pint of kombucha um (laughs) which shocked me a little bit because you know I don't think we should be drinking pints of the stuff before we eat. But yeah, I I was actually quite pleasantly surprised, you know, for a a city that is very touristic and, you know, obviously it's got the classic, it's got restaurants in every corner and they're serving, you know, the traditional uh, kind of steak, chips, etc, etc. Oh yeah, everything Um, fried. Yeah, a lot of fried. And, and, you know, as somebody that seeks out healthy eating, I don't really engage with that very much and I do make a special effort to try and find a place that you know where the menu is going to obviously offer something um so I I really to be honest I had a new place to go to every day and I was quite impressed great to see that for a country that would have a tradition of fermenting anyway that they are part of this it's like it is like a global movement that people are looking into and sharing ferments and ideas from all around the world so it's it's definitely feels like it's it's happening it's happening there which might be a different um side of Prague than than you might be familiar with having grown up there you know actually hearing you now that really reminds me how much it has changed because me growing up we didn't have 
all this, it was all pretty much, you know, unhealthy eating. You didn't have health food shops. Even when I came over here in 2002 and there were already health food shops here, it wasn't something you would have in Prague at the time. Right. We were, and we still are, a lot behind. But yeah, it is true about the fermenting culture, but it has disappeared for quite a long time and now it's only coming back and it's really great to see. And actually those crackers you were talking about, I always, always buy them when I go because you can't find them anywhere else. Yeah, and, and they're delicious. Yeah, they're and amazing. they're so much cheaper. I always bring like boxes and Yeah, boxes, actually like, that is an luggage. amazing point because those crackers, I did actually stock up on those for the duration. And I have to say they were really quite reasonable and being somebody that's looked at aspects of food production to produce a cracker like that here it's you know they become extremely pricey so I was really impressed that these foods were available and they were affordable talking about fermenting now um I'd really like to know how you got into that actually a question that I asked Danny when I was talking to him I can't imagine that growing up in Ireland, as a little girl, you know, you would say to parents one day, um, you know, I think I'm going to let some food spoil for a living. <laughs> oh gosh, it's taken a long time for me to work out what I, what I, my job is here on this planet. But funny you should say that I do think that what I'm doing now is very directly influenced by my life as a child because my dad who you know every dad your dad is every it's every little girl's kind of um role model in a sense and I was at that time the only daughter so I was completely daddy's girl uh, and my dad was a, a very interesting man in that he was by day this old school pharmacist who had a very established practice and he had part of his shop where he could have been selling all of the extra products that go along with the pharmacy these days. My dad had a row of chairs and basically that row of chairs were for people to sit and wait for their turn to talk to my dad. He had such a reputation that people would come to him before they would go to the doctor and discuss stuff and he would have most of the time a lotion or a potion or you know maybe you need to do this or maybe maybe you know have some apple cider vinegar or some raw honey or you know that would have been subtly in there as part of his approach he he kept bees and very much engaged with the countryside so he used to make blackthorn sticks and you know he would gather berries and he would make jams and compots and all this kind of stuff I couldn't cook anything else, mind you, but could do this foraging, you know, nature-engaged activity. But as soon as it went into his pharmacy, it would fly off the shelves. He would then make mead with the leftover honey. And there literally was jars and demijohns and all sorts of stuff fermenting away in the back of our kitchen. And I think as a child, seeing those things and having those things about you even though you don't understand them as a child, they're they're definitely a mystery. It took me quite a long time to get my head around fermenting. You know, they, they do open up a part of your brain and they do give you a curiosity into this world. So I definitely think that those younger years had a big influence on me and uh, I was my dad's chief meat taster. So apparently to test whether or not the meat was ready, he used to give me a little teaspoon of it. And according to what face I pulled... 
he would know whether or not the lead was perfect or whether it needed to go a little bit longer or maybe had gone too far. So uh, I think, yes, he definitely has had a strong influence on my career. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, definitely. But on the other side of that, you know, my mom was uh, my mom was actually a cookery teacher. Uh, her whole her whole specialism was uh, home economics and, you know, making the house function in a very practical way and. I've never quite mastered the meal planning, but, you know, we knew what day of the week it was by what we were eating. Um, my mum had, you know, the meal plans, the shopping was done in accordance to that. Uh, the weeks didn't vary that much, you know, definitely Thursday was curry night and we had, you, you had those traditional foods, you know, your, your lasagnas and your stews. And I was very curious all the time as to what she was doing because everything was cooked from scratch. And I definitely learned how to cook by hanging on to her apron like she taught me how to make the corner sauces all those and if you know how to build up the different sauces by the age of 12 I was cooking family dinners when I was 13 14 with great joy I loved I loved this freedom to be able to to create something for my family um so you know I think both those influences definitely if you cross a cook and a kind of home economics teacher with a old school pharmacist, you're gonna get you're gonna get a fermentalist. It's <laughs> it's, it's obvious. <laughs> but so, how did you get into what you were doing now? Did you always know that your path is gonna to lead to something like that, or how did you get into that? What did you uh... do when it when it came to time to go to university? What did you want to study? <laughs> what was the natural choice for you? I would say that that time that I was supposed to go to university was probably the most difficult time of my life because it was full of conflict in that my father wanted very much to pass on the pharmacy to me. He had, when I was a child, you know, when I was in my teenage years, I used to spend my summers working, you know, for pocket money in the shop. I would have worked weekends um, and actually, you know, my dad's wish was that I would take on the pharmacy. So my parents very strongly wanted me to go into pharmacy. I have older brothers who are doctors, so it's very much part of our family that this area of um, career was a, a strong, a strong theme. And I really didn't want to do pharmacy. I just didn't get pharmacy to be honest I didn't I had obviously a, a, by that stage an understanding of illness um, and I really didn't think that taking tablets was the was the answer so there was something very unattractive about pharmacy and as the classic teenager that's been forced into doing something they don't want to do what do you do instead you rebel and I pushed to go to art college and I went to art college to to try and express something so I spent quite a few years in that rebellious mode of I'm at art college and I'm not you know I'm doing the absolute opposite to what you want me to do and now that I look back at art college you know I think it was a time to try and actually discover what it was I wanted what did I need to express what did I need to find out about myself and I'm very grateful I was actually able to do that but it it wasn't it wasn't with great um support at the time it definitely would have been conflict a conflict area because you know I was being handed a career I was being handed a business 
looking back now, I would be on a very handsome wage, which would be rather nice to be standing dispensing drugs to people doing a job I don't believe in. You know, when you're forced into doing something you don't want to do, then it it doesn't allow the space for you to discover what it is you do want to do. So you went to art college, you finished, you got a degree. What did you do then? <laughs> my degree is actually in glass blowing, believe it or not. Oh I'm, my God, that is I so random. A, I, it's totally random. I am you a can trained, blow your own jars. I <laughs> could blow the most exquisite jars to ferment in. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe one day I shall. So I ended up funnily leaving college and I was due to go and work in London as a glassblower uh, and I had this huge kind of epiphany of like I, I spent about two months in London just going I don't want to do this this is crazy this is like this life London is overwhelming um, so I came back to Belfast for a little short stint and I had you know I had a lot of peers here and a lot of really good friends uh, still back in Belfast and I ended up working with a an arts organization who you know wanted um, classes or workshops to help uh, fill out a program for disability groups so I ended up you know starting a few projects and that actually led to an amazing job for you know the good part of about five or six years I was working with this organization and loving it it gave me it gave me this real sense of you know I think sometimes when you can go to art college you can be quite self-indulgent and you can be living a life that's separate to life you know because you're creating and you're expressing and it's you know it can seem a little bit removed and it was lovely to have this connection to people and community and the more I develop as a person the more I think that I like to do stuff that serves I like to do stuff that either helps people or has a direct community that it's um, benefiting and you know I don't want to work in isolation so using my skill and offering it to people um, in this context you know the word the word disability organizations or uh, maybe specific groups that met around whether it was um stroke awareness or you know just just different community groups um so I ended up working in that context for a couple of years and it was just it was beautiful it was very enriching work and gave me that experience of teaching and being in front of people sharing and I loved it that sounds really satisfying mm, yeah it was beautiful and it led to it led to quite a special project that was it took my heart and my soul. It was massive. It was a massive um, project. I get quite, when I know I'm doing the right thing, I get quite um, carried away with it and I kind of want to bring everybody in and get involved in it. And I ended up designing a project that was, it involved about 500 people. We um, worked on the project for about a year. We created costumes and props and then we all went to Dublin for the opening ceremony of the Special Olympics which um was you know it was the first time the Special Olympics came to Ireland so we got to do this amazing performance on stage for thousands millions of people I think when you're in the right mode and in the right expression of what you're supposed to be doing just things things happen so you've 
done years of this amazing group community work and when did the fermenting how did that happen I took quite a significant break when I became a mother I became a mother in 2009 and I think you know I don't know my experience of this was a real oh my god you know this is just it's such a life-changing thing and I and I did find it quite difficult to leave that role to kind of go back to doing um I suppose projects that were not what's the word I'm looking for you know it wasn't like I had to go to work every day there would be um quite sporadic projects and I I did find it quite hard to kind of jump out of that it's you're either one or the other um and obviously I understand you know if you have if you have a job or a role prior to becoming a mother then you 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 have to fit back into that I kind of chose it as a time to just reflect again and to and to think what is it that I'm what is it that this new role now needs me to do? Um, because I am, I am a role model. I think I've always been interested in food. I've always been interested in healthy eating. And looking back, you know, that's your idea of healthy eating is only as knowledgeable as the information you know. I think intrinsically we're doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have. So at one point, I would definitely say that in my imagination, eating a bagel with cream cheese and smoked salmon was healthy eating because that's what's presented to you as something that's... It seems like it's got all the elements, you know, you can identify. And that's only with the knowledge that you know. So I became really quite obsessed with learning about nutrition and food. And I think I'm I'm speaking to someone who understands in that Absolutely. you actually do become obsessed because it is... It's like this knowledge has been denied from you. And why we're not taught it from a younger age, I don't know. I mean, maybe do we not have the capacity to really fully grasp it. But it is just such a depth of knowledge and it's so fascinating. And maybe you can only really appreciate it whenever you need to hear it. But I fell in so deep into that and possibly my driving force. I do think we all need a why for why we do stuff uh my driving force was you know I had created this thing that I now had to feed I had to feed it I had to make sure it didn't get sick if it got sick I had to make sure it was better I you know you become this you become a a many multifaceted personality when you become a parent and I really took that role of you know well feeding them to make sure they don't get sick is actually my priority as opposed to well what do I do when they get sick so I really really like I became a a real swat on this on the subject like I I'd say I dedicated three years to just studying nutrition and not the basic nutrition like real kind of almost like the upper level of nutrition where you're it's a real science when you start looking into that it's I I got really overwhelmed it's like a tuning in I find you know and you go through the overwhelm, then you go into the evangelistic kind of like, everybody, stop eating that, you need to eat this. And then you realise yeah. that you're a pain in the arse. You you go through a whole new cycle with all of that. And, you know, I did, I 
I feel like I was a little bit, the sugar for me was the big one, especially with kids. Like I just felt like every other word that was coming out of my mouth was like, stop giving them sugar. Please stop giving them sugar. No, you can't have that. The sugar in it. I just felt like that became my absolute obsession to the point where it nearly would cause family strife, you know, because if I saw them, if I saw a relative give my kids another bowl of Cheerios, I was just going to lose it completely, you know. I think I got to the point of seeing it as poison. Like, mm. you actually don't realise it, but you're poisoning my child. And that became the way I nearly started to view stuff. So I I didn't find it particularly um, beneficial and thought, I really need to approach this from a different angle. I need to stop being being the one that was trying to kind of stop this natural thing that goes on. Because as human beings, we just want to resist the person that's standing over there shouting. Uh, and that for me is when the fermenting really kicked in. And I was like, you know, if we give the kids this instead, if we give them this drink, for example, be it kefir or ginger bug, it'll help mop up the sugar. Isn't that brilliant? You know, they can have this and then we'll give them the drink and it'll at least mop up some of the damage. And I started to approach it that way. You know, I think I was getting stressed out about it. And when you get stressed out about it, then no amount of healthy eating is going to fix that. Stress is just going to undo all good work. I think I've gone slightly off-piste from our original original question. But um, yeah, I think the fermenting started to play a huge role in this tool of like, kids are kids and kids are heavily influenced by other kids. And unless you have the power to influence all those parents that are in your sphere, um, then, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that you're going to get everybody on board healthy eating. For some people, it doesn't matter. You know, food is just food. It doesn't, it doesn't equate to good or bad or, you know, beneficial or not beneficial. Um, so the fermenting really helped me influence my children's taste buds. And therefore they're kind of, they're taking care of their own decisions, which is which is good. That's actually one thing I really wanted to ask you. How do you get your kids started or what makes kids interested in fermented foods? What do you make for your kids to make them want to eat that? Yeah, it's it's a it's a huge topic because feeding kids is literally like trying to push a balloon up a mountain food for kids is like their what their last it's like the only thing they have control over is what goes into their mouth so for some parents it's a real struggle and I've been there where you know you can't get them to eat anything and what I found was was kind of starting to talk less about the food and more about what the food does so you know kids love characters kids love to visualize stuff and I and I do talk to them about very simply the good bugs and the bad bugs and 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 I kind of we've we've even imagined these things and put faces on them and you know so they're not actually thinking they're like ants and you know insects inside their tummy and we've made them characters and you have good ones and you've bad ones just to keep it simple I know it's very black and white but they do have an understanding that sugar is literally you know it's the bad bugs wanting food it's the bad bugs calling out for some food and when you eat sugar you make the bad bugs stronger and those bad bugs make you a little bit grumpy they're angry 
And the more that there are in you, the more you kind of feel a wee bit grumpy, even though they taste sugar tastes nice, etc. But if you if you can kind of even if you're having a little bit of sugar, help the good bugs out and help the good bugs fight the bad bugs. Because kids like a bit of conflict too. You know that there is this little fight going on and, and my kids have got it. Like they've but I mean it's me telling them all the time about it. So the best tool I think for a parent is to play to their strength and make a fermented food that's sweet. Um, or a fermented drink and what I have on the go all the time is a ginger bug uh, or the other option would be something like water kefir and you make this drink and they have they ask for this drink when they've had sugar which is it's a nice balance uh, but what it has done is opened their taste buds to this slightly tiny bit of a sour taste you know you're not just getting straight sugar it's a bit more complex so you know, my kids will happily have a bowl of miso soup. They will happily have, um, although they don't always know it, maybe because they've never had the real stuff to compare, but I make a fermented mayonnaise, which has got, um, you know, it would have the live brine from a ferment in it. So the mayonnaise is actually alive and contains good bacteria. They would have little bits of sauerkraut, just tiny bits. I don't try and force them to eat a big kind of huge portion of it. Yeah, that is quite a quiet taste. Although it depends what depends you what it. flavor you put in. Yeah, um, you can really disguise it. I find it's open for absolutely um, playing with. They love helping out to make the stuff, which is really good. That helps engage them. When I make things that are maybe just plain carrot, a plain carrot ferment, they like that because again, it's a sweet. There's a sweetness coming through. I ferment their ketchup, so. Actually, I have to say my smuggest moment as a parent was I had fermented some potatoes and then turned them into chips because potatoes are, uh, they are actually difficult for us to digest and giving them a little quick ferment will help with all of that. So I'd made the potatoes that were pre-fermented. I'd made a fermented ketchup and I'd made a fermented mayonnaise and they were sitting having their chips with ketchup and mayonnaise thinking they're you know, all the biz, but everything was, everything had been put through a process to make them more both digestible and beneficial. So it's, you know, you can have little, you can put little tricks in there. I do make milk kefir on and off and that gets put in a smoothie. I have to say smoothies for kids are the most amazing way to get really good food into them. I would Make a smoothie that has got um, prebiotics in it, probiotics. Uh, it would have a little powder that's great for making sure that, um, you know, parasites aren't there. I put vegetable powder. Like, literally, the smoothies they get, they have no idea what is in there. But I feel like it's a complete meal. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good compromise, let's say. You know, you can spend a lot of time struggling with a child getting them to eat and the more you enforce it the more they're going to resist so I think hiding stuff is really good although at this stage you know because I've had this idea of chatting to the my kids less about eating certain types of food but more about what foods do that I can actually get them to do some really bizarre things so you know when they have a cold I've been able to get them to do a shot of a thing that I may call the master tonic, which is hardcore. Like some adults find it tricky to drink it, but it is 
onion, chili, garlic, horseradish and ginger that's all infused into um, apple cider vinegar. And they, when they get a cold, they know they do one shot of this and the cold's gone. So I think it's how you approach it. With everything, it's how you approach it. And I would say I'm not perfect. There's definitely times that there are struggles at the table um, because I have those little tricks like just hiding stuff in their in their food or maybe having um, pre-soaked stuff. Like that's a huge thing. If you can pre-soak your oats or your beans or your pasta or your rice, you know, at least that's going to help with the digestion. And, you know, I, I think for kids, they have a hard journey ahead of them in this uh stage because it's just sugar 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 and the food that isn't offered to them is just appalling it really is appalling at least when we were growing up you know i mean it were certainly for me it was stricter times so you didn't you know not eat something it's a challenge it's a challenge for children and it's a challenge for parents at the moment then you have to do these things with some (sighs) grown-ups This is true, especially <laughs> when you're trying to get partners and husbands interested in healthy oh, eating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just don't let them ask what it is. Yes, <laughs> just present it with a smile. I see this cake. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> when I was talking to Johnny, um, we touched quite a bit on the gut health. And um, then I went home and I really thought about it and... Um, because all these foods that you're making, they're incredibly beneficial. I've um, I've actually realized that when you think about any major diseases, illnesses and conditions, and, and even the things like colds, when you think about how that happens and, and why we get sick, even emotional states and, you know, anxieties and stresses and all that, everything seems to lead back to the gut. Am I right? Am I wrong? I would say, I would say that you are, can you ever say you're 100% right? But you're definitely (laughs) close to 100% right. Um, I suppose, I mean, if you quote the founder of modern medicine, Hippocrates, it's like the famous, the famous quote that all disease begins in the gut. And we have to, we have to kind of really appreciate that the gut is something, or our digestive system is something that we take for granted you know that you know you kind of eat food and it comes out the other end and that's probably about as much as most people want to think about it but it is this hugely complex system it's a hugely complex organ that is um that's powering our day it's it's literally our engine um and you know if if the engine of a car goes it's you know the car's not going to run now that's not to say that it's the only organ that if it fails that um we're in trouble obviously each organ plays its role but the gut is it's been doing its thing and it is medically now this area of absolute wonder because we have overlooked it we have put more value on you know maybe what the heart's doing which is amazing or maybe what uh, the liver's doing which is amazing but this this gut is is home to what is I suppose being described as the new frontier of medical understanding it's home to this bacterial world and in essence I suppose every day it's a bacterial exchange we are having a bacterial exchange constantly with our world so if we have got a gut that 
is home to this bacterial world that is completely out of balance and and you know in a in a state of complete dysbiosis we have we've no resource for this bacterial onslaught that's happening every day um so i i definitely think that the gut is it's a very delicate place as well because the lining that separates the gut from the rest of your body you know the the gut is is this channel for food to go in and nutrients to be um extracted and absorbed and then sent to other parts of the body um that lining is so tiny and so thin that it's now suggested that the perforations in in that lining due to diet over medication etc that those little perforations are allowing whatever nutrients or foods or particles to go into the wrong places in the body and then the body starts to start it begins this kind of attack on on what's happening so it's certainly very integral in our in our well-being and in our health and um the amazing thing about it is it's something that you can affect and manipulate on a daily basis you can make a choice at every point whether or not you're going to make it a good place and a place that's in a in a kind of more favorable microbiome or if it is going to be somewhere that you're continuing to degrade and destroy so you can actually start to begin to affect this whole gut health gut world with your next meal it's quite it's quite amazing you know it's it's easier nearly to reverse than anything that might be going on with your your heart and that whole system like if you have a build up of of plaque say in your arteries that's harder to reverse than starting to work with your gut health so i definitely think that we are only at the tip of the iceberg of appreciating how immense this organ is and unfortunately well maybe these things happen because they need to we we are at a point in our evolution where we've literally been destroying it for the past well ever since ever since antibiotics came in and louis pasteur you know sparked the whole um sterile sanitizing world we have been destroying this this whole environment and i guess everything happens for a reason the fingers certainly pointing at the fact that we're getting more and more sick because we have been destroying this delicate little ecosystem inside us so yeah i think it's it it will become the number one and and most accessible part of your health regime you can really influence Danny actually described us humans as a sort of a bus for bacteria yes when you created your cultured club and started teaching people how to ferment their own foods did you already know how big part fermented foods can actually play in healing the gut and contributing to overall health or is it something that you were discovering along the way as you were teaching and and creating your foods and and how does it feel to actually have the science back in what you're doing in your kitchen yeah well i i actually like i started the culture clubs five years ago officially but i had been fermenting before that and i think i mean i wouldn't have started to teach it unless i actually integrally completely 100% knew the facts and knew knew the um the importance of it that was the driving force as to why I started um you know prior to fermenting I was 
doing a lot of stuff with food anyway. I would have been doing a lot of raw food and, you know, interestingly didn't feel like that's what I needed to teach because I didn't think that was for everybody. However, I felt that fermenting was for everybody because I understood firstly what these foods were, secondly that we are this really complex bus for bacteria and there's really nobody that shouldn't be doing it. Like it's not a radical diet change, it's not you know okay stop eating what you're eating, you're gonna have to start doing it this way like that. That to me is not the approach because again as human beings we'll just resist. Whereas this food literally slips into every diet. It's like, if you're vegan, amazing. Start fermenting some vegetables as well as eating them fresh, steamed, whatever. If you're a can't live without a steak type of person, please start eating some fermented foods because at least they're going to help you digest the meat. If you have, you know, religious beliefs about your food, if you have, like, it fits into every single diet and... For me, that's kind of what gave me the real integrity with it. Um, because, I mean, I, I did feel like I had knowledge that everybody needed to start to bring it into their kitchens. And really interestingly, you know, as you watch these things grow, it's the people around, the closest to you first that move the furthest away. And eventually now those people have kind of started to jump on board five years later. So... I like this idea of the bacterial bus that you brought up because I think one thing that we need to appreciate is that we are home to gazillions of bacteria and, and the figures keep changing but you know for every cell there's like supposedly nine species of bacteria which makes us this you know only one percent human essentially we're you know this infinite bacterial world the the in, the most interesting thing about it is they can live without us we can't live without them and that's where it kind of really flips it for me it's like we need to step aside and stop thinking that we are the most important part of the equation here because without them we are we are dead you know but and and they can live without us like that's they'll just be they'll just exist somewhere else <laughs> Um, so that to me really was quite humbling as well and I have to say I kind of have this joke that if I do anything really random which my life can be quite random it's not like it's on some strategic plan um, that it's the bacteria that make me do it I really feel like I'm that in tune with them and I have that many of them inside me that are you know really positive good ones that uh they, they make me do a lot of this stuff. I didn't like... make that sauerkraut on my own mail. <laughs> it was the bacteria that made me and do actually, it. And actually, sometimes that can be the case, actually. That can, you know, you find yourself, um, there's days when I've woken up and I've kind of, you know, certainly as a business owner, you think you should have some sort of plan. But, you know, it's not possible every day to know exactly what you're doing. And there are days where literally I've woken up and, you know, two hours might have passed. And the next thing I'm like, I have just, you know, I fermented some, the other day was the perfect example, I fermented some horseradish, I'd fermented some, um, I'd made some mayonnaise, I'd done, like, without even thinking about it, because I could see everything sitting around in the kitchen, and I was like, oh, that needs to go in a jar, that needs to go in a jar, and, and clearly, that was the bacteria at work, you know, I wasn't consciously thinking, they were just making me do it. <laughs> it does get you out of a lot of trouble, though, it really does, you know, and last year I had, 
um, this is a perfect example. Last year I had, if anybody really wanted to look it up in the extreme, there are all these amazing stories of how in nature parasites, which are would be the other side, that would be the more negative side, how parasites take up residence in a certain animal or a certain um, insect or whatever and make the insect do things that are completely out of character and then eventually you know they will they will kind of cause the insect to commit suicide nearly and then the parasite will live on again in the right conditions and it, nature is full of examples of that where um a parasite can affect the behavior of its host and i like to see this as the flip side you know if you start to put in really good bacteria and i would say not that i've been um analyzed specifically for it but i would say i have a high proportion of really good bacteria in there compared to most and I definitely think it affects me positively it makes me do positive things or certainly um deflect from doing negative things it makes you think positively I think because it's, yeah. it's been there's been a lot of research in the last maybe two years or so um confirming that actually the gut health if you have a good proportion of the good bacteria it really can affect, affect your mental the work health. of your brain your mental health yes I 100% believe it and not, again, not having, you know, been part of a study or um, having too much evidence at hand. I would say that very clearly for me, there is the person I was before fermenting and the person I am now that fermentation is part of my life. Like there is definitely nearly like a clear line going, I was a very different person. The way I thought, the way I had relationships, very, very different person. So, you know, the only thing I've tweaked dramatically is that I've brought in fermented foods. And I think when you do that, it takes care of other aspects of your diet as well. Completely um, same for me. Yeah, it's incredible. Is there anything that a person starting to ferment shouldn't be doing? Or is there a possibility for somebody to create a ferment that can be actually harmful? I think you'd have to be doing something really drastically wrong. Um, there are, you know, there are a few key points to look out for. They're nothing too complex, um, which is good for those that maybe find fermenting a little bit kind of too sciencey or too kind of extreme in the in the kitchen. Basic hygiene is obviously key. You know, make sure that you have a clean surface to work on. Um, clean hands your jar is clean it doesn't have to be sterile uh for me the two major things is that you when when you're working with the vegetables is you use the right amount of salt and once you have packed your jar that you submerge your vegetables and those two things should look after any potential risk of things going wrong so the major thing would be that you create a mold by nature of this process, it's it's nature will do its thing, so it's actually very hard to generate something bad. Like you're not going to generate the deadly bacteria. There's which I must point out. There's only five percent of bacteria that are bad, and there's there's ninety five percent that we seem to have like totally ignored, and we can you know we're not obviously going to be generating that that many. We're going to be generating a specific family, but. If you look after that key point of enough salt and submerging your vegetables 
really nature will nature will do the rest and nothing will go wrong i have to say that there is inbuilt in us this intrinsic knowing that there's a very difference very big difference between this the kind of smell or taste of a ferment which is you know it's it's different to what we're used to it is fermentation is a process of controlling the decomposition of food so you're just you're kind of just preserving it and catching it but there's a big difference between that and something that has actually gone off and i think we know it we really intrinsically know it food is just too perfect it just looks uh, there's nothing about it that confronts us anymore. I, I'm still only feel like I'm still scratching the surface. I've been fermenting for some four years now and I still feel that there's so much to know. There's so much. But I do know, like, you know straight away. Like, I, I still can't get around. You know, I did your workshop. When was it? Last year? The year before? And I still can't get the fine beans ferment right every time I get yeast in it, no matter what. The I green try. beans. Yes. Yeah. It's just one that I really, really struggle with. I think if you if you can grasp the concept that oxygen is the enemy of fermenting, mm. so you just your job as somebody that's trying to create a fermented food is to make sure that you keep them away from oxygen. And you keep them in this right environment where there is just enough salt to stop any bad bacteria growing, but not too much so that you don't stop the good bacteria. And really, it's kind of like juggling. It's very hard to explain. You know, there is that point where you're practicing kind of throwing the balls and then literally just one day without thinking about it, something clicks in your brain and you just, you're just doing it naturally and, and it's kind of, maybe it's a bit of practice or maybe it's um, engaging with it, you know, it's and it's like learning anything. There's the struggle of retaining the information and making sure you're doing it all right and being like precise and being like, what did they say and da 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 And then there's the day where it just clicks in and you actually understand what's going on. For this beneficial family of bacteria to grow, they need some food, which is sugar, because all fermentation stems from breaking down sugar. Um, so that can be directly straight sugar or sugar in sugar stroke starch in a vegetable. If they have the sugar and starch to eat and they're in an oxygen-free environment, they're having a party. But even though you know what you need and how to do it, yeah. <laughs> there are still some mishaps that can yeah, happen. For sure, yeah. I mean... <laughs> It is a science in this sense, but then it's also an art form. So it can depend on the temperature. It can t it can depend on what's in the atmosphere. It can depend on. I mean, I don't know. There's this whole philosophy of biodynamics. If if anybody listening knows about that, or if um you wanted to look it up, biodynamics suggests that there are certain days you shouldn't be doing certain things in nature. So they have um you know they have specific days when you should collect your fruit. There's specific days when you should be preserving. There are specific days when you should be maybe tending to the soil. And the calendar goes around like this. You know, it's the fruit day or it's the leaf day. Or um, There would be people that may think that it could be the intention with which you're preserving. Maybe you're in a bad mood. 
that can possibly go into the jar and you're preserving that and well i don't know if i was in a bad mood when i was creating that way lemonade but it's still all over my ceiling (laughs) no you were in a really really good mood that day i haven't painted that ceiling in two years and when you look up i mean i washed it a couple of times but that explosion that was insane tell me about it what happened it was oh my god i i was really stupid i (laughs) i um that lemonade just finished fermenting and I, in the morning, half asleep, I, you know, it was, the bacteria was all at the bottom. I shook it. No. And I didn't wait like you should to stop oh, no. fizzing and, and calm down and I opened it and I nearly lost my eye. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. the, the lid was stuck to the ceiling. This, yeah. All the grapefruit that was in it, like pieces of grapefruit everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there are, yes, there are stories and some of them can be quite horrific actually. But, you know, to me that would suggest, that would reinforce the point that when you understand what's going on, you would have no one that, you know, shaking it and then opening <laughs> it was possibly not the thing to do. Um, but you know you have to do these things to learn that sometimes uh the definitely i mean you were talking about a whey lemonade which is um it's like the giddiest most delicious lemonade and completely probiotic and you know it's it's just the it's it's what we should be drinking it's like we're allowed to have fizzy in our lives but it has been totally dominated by these like crap soft drinks that are you know clearly not good for us whereas traditional drinks they're fizzy and they're so alive and and the the aliveness is the bacteria having created this carbon dioxide which is you know and i actually didn't think it would work because i don't i it's not way as in 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 you know milk Milk because i don't i i was it coconut milk so yeah yeah so i made coconut milk kefir and then i made cheese out of it Uh uh-huh and then I used the way, the, the, way the, the coconut way to create the lemonade. And it was really delicious once yeah. I managed to... The way drinks or the ginger bug drinks are, they're definitely, they're very fun. Um, but, you know, I, I have reinforced with people that you are making something that is creating carbon dioxide naturally. And therefore, if you've got it in a sealed bottle or a container, it is... A bomb, essentially. You are you are generating something that's building pressure, so you have to release that. And I've I've had some stories fed back, you know, where they're like, yeah, 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 and they kind of half get it. And again, it hasn't fully clicked in what I've just said. And um, you know, they've gone away for two weeks, maybe, and left the bottle in their kitchen, and they've come back to and to a bottle that is everywhere in their yeah. kitchen. Yeah, um, I heard these stories as well. Yeah, if you're gonna ferment then you're going to be engaging with food. So you may as well understand what's going on. It's actually great that essentially you're creating really, really good food that can be super delicious. And you're employing science and nature to create something that's really healing. I really love that idea. Yeah. Well, um, I'm quite conscious that we're running out of time. We've been talking loads, but there's a few more things I wanted to ask you. So your relationship with vegetables is pretty clear. Yes. <laughs> if it if it is within your reach, it's It'll gonna get fermented. fermented. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a favorite vegetable? Oh, actually, no. Totally goes with the season. Um, six months ago, it would have been carrot kimchi. And, you know, four months ago, it would have been beetroot. Now, 
I recently was just doing something with pumpkin, which was really nice. In the summer, it's all about the salsa, and I could not touch fermented salsa now. It's like just, it just jars with where we're at. Right now, actually, I have been making a um, red cabbage and ginger and orange ferment, and I just, it's just so perfect. I think it's the, the, the ginger is just what... I need right now in this season so I'm back on sauerkraut but you know I haven't touched it in a couple of months would you would you share the recipe I certainly will yeah because oh. it's super easy oh, it's super on, easy but um I've been using red cabbage because I have so much of it um and I simply chop a red cabbage until I have a kilogram I'm big on flavor so you know when you see put an inch of ginger in I always like put two in um, so I do put quite a bit of ginger in. I put a half an apple in just for a little bit of sweetness because red cabbage can be slightly bitter. And then I actually slice the oranges. As I'm packing the jar, I put the oranges at the side of the jar and pack, uh, pack in my cabbage. I've missed a step where you salt the cabbage and you massage it so it becomes quite wet. And this allows you to pack the jar quite tightly. How much salt do you so, use? So for every kilogram of vegetables, I use one tablespoon. And if you want to weigh it, 20 grams is what you're looking for. Uh, and that's a, that's a fine sea salt that I use. Pack your jar really tight. And I, when I say tight, I mean you're trying to squeeze out any potential oxygen. A kilogram of vegetables will fit into a litre jar, believe it or not, even though it feels like you've got this massive jar of cabbage and a small or a massive bowl of cabbage and a small jar. Uh, and then I submerge the, make sure I've got enough liquid to submerge the cabbage. I place a cabbage leaf on top and I leave it to ferment for, actually the one I'm eating at the moment is about three weeks old. And it's just perfect. Oh, that sounds yummy. That's actually one I'm making for Christmas, but I don't put oranges nice. in. Oh. I put cinnamon and oh, lovely. when it's fermented and I usually I'm really bad I usually leave it like five to six weeks that's just, good and then before I put it in the fridge I mix in my fermented raisins oh nice and so it's like this really Christmassy I put apple as well so I put apple ginger red cabbage too lovely yeah, the cinnamon and the raisins it's like proper Christmas Chris I love <laughs> it I love it I funny actually I made a Christmas sauerkraut about two years ago at the school that my kids go to and uh, I think I have there was quite a few mothers there that are from your part of the world and from Poland and I actually think I really offended them in that you know sauerkraut is sauerkraut it's like it's a traditional recipe it's cabbage and it's carrot and maybe maybe caraway seeds or juniper depending but it's very simple and here I was messing about with cinnamon and ginger and, you know, throwing all these other ingredients and they were completely <laughs> bewildered going, this is not sauerkraut. And I'm like, it is. It, it is. can it's be whatever awesome. you want. Totally. <laughs> totally. And talking of which, um, we really need to talk about this because you have a book out. And I do. And it came out last year and I really do recommend if any of the listeners want to start fermenting do get their blessed book there are some recipes that will really get you started and want to eat and if you want to start with sauerkraut i do recommend completely skip the plain versions of sauerkraut 
go and make Derbalis Krishna crowd. Oh, it's my it's favorite so ferment ever. Do you know for um number of years I loved kimchi the most? Now it's your Krishna crowd. Oh, brilliant. It is such an amazing ferment. Um, our listeners, if you like anything spicy, do and make the Krishna crowd because it's amazing. It's so good. And bizarrely, it starts to get a little bit citrusy as well. It's like mm. The flavors in it just are bonkers. Actually, that is a favorite at the moment too. Yeah. I just opened a crock. Uh, I have a 30 liter crock. And it was full of Krishna Kraut. And it was literally... I felt like I was opening a treasure chest of yeah, gold. It was it just is. this like... <gasps> it's so good. And you know, the last time I discovered a wee bit left in the fridge and it was quite old, I thought, mm, I don't actually fancy eating it. it even though you could. I mean, yeah. It was there like six months. I popped it in a dehydrator and I dehydrated yeah. it and then grind it into spice. And I use it Perfect. as a spice in soups. Perfect. Oh my God. It's so intense then so as a flavor. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that because I, I mean, I don't see sauerkraut just as sauerkraut. It can become a seasoning yeah. or... You know, one thing that I was thinking as I was decanting that sauerkraut is like, I, I want to juice this. I want to juice it and just knock back this because it had so much turmeric in it as well. I was like, if I juice that with like maybe just a little bit of apple or something, it would just be, it would have been yeah. delicious. Yeah. And I put it in crackers and pancakes and chapatis Yum. and you can do so much in it. Yeah, people, sauerkraut is not just something you yeah. eat out of a jar or eat as a side salad. You can do so much with yeah. it. So do get Dervla's book. It's a great Christmas present as well. Dervla, where can people buy your book? You can get it on any good bookstore <laughs> <laughs> or it is available online um, obviously through the traditional things like Amazon and eBay except I have, um, you know, sometimes supporting those those outlets are not that great and there is a website or a, it's actually an old bookstore from Galway called Kenny's and Kenny's have this amazing service where they will post the book anywhere in the world for free. Um, it costs the the book actually is twenty seven ninety nine in the shops, and Kenny's have it online for twenty euros. Uh, and then they post it for free. It's like that is it's phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal um service. So you can send it all around the world for Christmas, <laughs> uh, via Kenny's.ie. It oh, that's is, brilliant. Yeah. Another thing is, what is amazing Christmas present as well, is um workshop. If you want to give somebody a really, really nice present this Christmas, buy Dervla's book and send them on a, on a workshop course. Yes, so I will, I will actually be doing a big workshop in January. And that is going to be, it's, it's kind of like the complement to the book to really get you established and get you um, making, tasting, all of that kind of stuff. And this week I shall have vouchers available on the website for those that wish to give the gift of, I need, I need the catchy line for it because literally it is the secret of the universe. Getting passengers for your bus. Yeah, it totally <laughs> is. It's get on the bus with the bacteria. This is like... It is the it's it's like the missing link. We have forgotten about these foods. We have forgotten about this amazing, amazing natural um technique that we can use to boost our foods. So yeah, totally. My job is just to make it accessible and to make it easy for everybody. So So what's your website? Where can people book your workshop and get a voucher for somebody? So I will have this up by Monday, which is the on the culturedclub.com, www.theculturedclub.com. So that's that's me. 
give a gift of bacteria this Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. Lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Erbla, for talking to us. Thank and, you so um, much. I will probably get workshopping with you soon as well. I think we could even co-present something at this stage. You have so much to offer yourself <laughs> on healthy eating and, and wonderful ways to make healthy food delicious. Next so. year for me is all about collaboration. So let's bring it on. Brilliant. Thank you. You're welcome. I love Derbala's idea about collaboration and I think that 2018 will also be all about collaboration for me and I really hope that Derbala and I will put some sort of workshop together for those of you who are interested in learning about healthy delicious eating suitable for a variety of diets and full of lots and lots of good bacteria. Talking of which if you are new to fermenting and would like to get some krauts or any other ferments on the go just to remind you, there are three main points that you should keep in mind when you're culturing your food. Number one, hygiene. Keep your surface, your hands and your jar clean. Number two, no oxygen. Pack your jar as tightly as possible to let all the air out and make sure your veggies are all covered in brine. And number three, salt. Use the right amount of salt to prevent your ferment from spoiling, but not too much. The usual dose is about one tablespoon or 20 grams, if you're like, per kilo of vegetables. And that's it. You know now where you can buy Derbala's book and where you can book into one of her workshops. But how would you like tasting some of her Krishna Kraut right now? Well, not right now, but, you know, almost right now, before Christmas. Because it's a competition time. Yep, the lovely fermentalista gave me a big jar of this amazing Indian spiced ferment. The very one that we were talking about and one of you can win it for their Christmas table. It's very simple. All you need to do is to head over to Facebook and join the Sweet Spot on a Farm group if you're not already a member. Find the post with Dervla's competition and like it. That's all you need to do. In the next episode, all the likes will be put into a hat and I'll announce the winner. As simple as that. And because it's nearly Christmas, that's not all. And I have another competition for you. If you'd like to win another cookbook for your collection, I have the Sweet Spot cookbook for you. It's filled with delicious plant-based recipes suitable for celiacs and diabetics. And all you need to do to win it is to answer the following question. What is Dervla's original profession that she studied for? What's her degree in? If you listen carefully, you already know the answer. And you can either email the answer to thesweetspud at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-S-W-E-E-T-S-P-U-D at gmail.com with the subject line competition too. Or you can head over to the Sweet Spot on a Farm Facebook group and put your answer in the comment below the competition to post. Again, the winner will be announced in the next episode just before Christmas. And that's it for me. Have a great week, try some fermented food and stay healthy. Until next time, bye! As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.